Well, church, if you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 18, we will continue in our study through Exodus. And there are some papers in the front and the back. If you did not grab one of those, you're welcome to. I hope that's a help to you. <laughs> Learn a good lesson tonight about the value of having a good father-in-law, I suppose, with Jethro. Moses uh, has an interesting relationship with Jethro. Of course, early in, in the book of Exodus, we, we learn that Jethro is a priest of Midian, which would, which would indicate that he's not, at that point, a God-fearer. He's, he's, he's a priest of some other kind of religion. It's never really laid out for us. But Jethro experiences a kind of a, kind of a transformation, and we get to see some of that tonight. We get to see what happens in his life. Uh, it, here, the little introductory uh, paragraph that I have down here, it says, In chapter 18, we see the results of God's fame being known. Remember, that's a huge thing in Exodus. God's fame being known, His glory covering the earth as the waters cover the sea, and God's mighty acts being used to sprout faith in, inside of other people. Okay, So as people see the mighty acts of God, they come to know who He is, they come to know about Him, and the hope is that they would turn and, um, and repent and become God-fearers. Um, so uh, we see this happening in, in a measure, in, in some measure, in Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. We also see an expression of God's lordship. He, he shows us in the second part of chapter 18 that he doesn't desire simply to occupy a compartment of our lives, but he desires to be the lens through which we see and interpret all of our lives. Like chapter 17, chapter 18 tells kind of a twofold story. The first part plays in to the second. And again, like chapter 17, chapter 18 is brief enough that we can read the whole thing probably just here in one shot. So if you'd like to join me in Exodus chapter 18, we'll just uh, read through it and see what the Lord might teach us from it. Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the, Lord, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So you see that they have, they have this meeting and you know, it says that Moses kissed his father-in-law. This is where I think the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? Thankful for that, that the Bible is just telling us what happened. It's not telling us what we need to do, that we need to go kiss our father-in-law. But anyway, that's what Moses does here. 
And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Look what happens. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that God had done to Israel, and in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So in other words, Jethro sees what God has done. He sees God's mighty acts and he turns and he gives God praise. Isn't this the kind of pattern that we hope would would unfold? Jethro said, verse 10, Blessed be the Lord. That's that's actually, if you see in your Bibles, your Bibles may have the L in big and then the O-R-D is in capitals, but the last three letters are smaller. That's the covenant name for God. That's Yahweh. Um, Blessed be Yahweh. This is interesting. Jethro, this priest of Midian, is now giving praise to Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord of uh, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and he has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look at look at verse eleven. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So, uh, that's the first section. Why don't we just stop there and, um, and, and look what's happening here. Friends, this is incredible, what's happening in Jethro's life. If you notice, he's only, in chapter 18, he's only called um, a priest of Midian one time in verse 1. And then every other reference to him downplays the fact that he was a priest of Midian. And all it refers to him as is Moses' father-in-law. Could this be a little bit of a signal that he's experiencing some kind of transformation? Maybe. Maybe that's a hint. We have to be careful. But I've got so there, there's some other evidence here that he's really seeing God for who God is. And he's coming to know God. As a God-fearer, this is a, a conversion story. Now, I'm not an Old Testament scholar. I know that this is one of those things that's really debated back and forth. But if you look at just the whole thrust of Exodus, it seems that the whole pattern is God does something mighty so that people will come to know Him. And here we have an example of Jethro hearing about what God has done, hearing about God's mighty acts, and now he's turning and he's even bringing sacrifices to this God. He used to take sacrifices to false gods, but now he's bringing a sacrifice to Yahweh. I I think it's clear that, that something very deep and profound is happening in Jethro's life, and perhaps this could be a conversion story. I think that I, I feel confident saying that. So, uh, but here's what we learn in the first 12 verses. We learn about knowing God. Knowing God. And I would say, if you're looking for a good book to read, Knowing God by J.I. Packer is probably the most doctrinally robust book that most Christians have, 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 have read if they have read anything very theological. Uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I would just commend that book to you. And that seems to be what's going on here. It seems to be what's emphasized is knowing God. We see here just a vivid recounting of God's mighty acts serving to spread His fame and create belief in others. Look what happens. See see the verbs. I've put them here in in these little uh, bullet points. Jethro heard in verse 1, right? What do we know from Romans 10, 17? Where does faith come by? Faith comes by hearing, right? So, first thing that happened, Jethro heard. 
And then verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law that the telling of the words is very important, right? You have to tell the message. I've heard people say, you know, this, this quote, um, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Well, I understand what this is trying to say. It's, it's basically saying, hey, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Live out what you say you believe. But the reality is the gospel message always has words. There's no preaching of the gospel without words. You have to, have to uh, tell the story. Um, Moses told his father-in-law everything that, that had happened and how God had rescued Israel. And then verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced. There's another verb. Look what is happening. When Jethro hears, he begins, his behavior is altered. He begins to rejoice. But not only that, he says, bless the Lord. This is an act of worship. He says, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord in verse 10. And then in verse 11, Jethro says, now I know. Remember, friends, when I told you when we started Exodus it w- that it would be helpful if, if every time you heard these words to underline them in Exodus, when it says, God will do something that they may know, right? So that they may know. So that Israel may know because God's own people are fickle. God's own people need to be reminded. But then the nations as well, so that the nations may know. Here's an example of the nations coming to know. Jethro, this priest of Midian, this pagan uh, worshiper, Jethro himself says, now I know, in verse 11. And so what did he do? Now that this man knows, in verse 12, he brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Coming to know God always causes you to begin worshiping different things. Now, in Jethro's life, it's very clear because he used to be paid to worship these other gods. And now he's worshiping Yahweh. And friends, this is the same story is true of all of us. Before Christ, we used to worship other things. If we're honest with ourselves, we're still tempted to worship other things today. We're still tempted to give ourselves to things that are lesser than, to, to, uh, to give our hearts over to, to things that are shiny and and have a, an appeal and an allure uh, and a draw to us. Jethro stops worshiping the false gods, begins worshiping the true God. So we've noticed, or I'm sorry, we've noted that God moves in history to bring Himself glory. This glory comes through others seeing, the, seeing His power and turning to offer worship to Him. This is exactly what happens in the life of Jethro. And praise God for it. While he is previously called a priest of Midian, and I, I, believe, I, I believe I'm right in this, I don't believe in the rest of Exodus and clearly the rest of the Bible, I don't believe he's ever called a priest of Midian again. Chapter 18 is kind of this turning point. I don't even know how much he's mentioned, to be honest with you, after, after this. Uh, not much outside the book of Exodus, but it's interesting that he's called a priest of Midian once, and then every other reference to him leaves that old designation behind. He's no longer that. Does this mean, of course, that is a question that, um, <clears throat> that we've just asked, so I'll skip over that little bullet point. So how do we apply this? What do we do? Where does the rubber meet the road with this little encounter with Jethro? Well, as we come to fear God, the natural outflow is to see others come to know Him as well. This is what Moses does. Moses sees the mighty acts of God, and so what does he do? He wants to tell his father-in-law about them. He wants to tell his loved ones about them so that they might see him in turn as well. This is the desire of the believer. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, 
Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Perhaps your Bible says we persuade men. In other words, having an encounter with God, knowing the fear of the God, knowing the fear of God, having come to see Him for who He is, causes us to desire to persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And can I just point out something? Um, I don't even know. Let's see. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's another sermon. All right. Y'all only, y'all only signed up for one tonight. We'll, uh, we'll stick that in, in my file. Um, and then here's uh, the, the, other, the other application. I pray, I think that we should pray tonight, that we would become so captivated by a vision of who God is that we turn and tell others. I pray that they would listen, believe, repent, and worship God like we say, see taking place here with Jethro. Let's let that be the, the cry of our hearts, church, that, that we would be able to tell others, that we ourselves would know the fear of the Lord, that we would persuade others, and that we would pray tonight that God would soften hearts and that He would open eyes so that they could see the gospel as good and turn and repent. We've got to read the rest of the chapter now. Uh, So let's pick it up in verse 13. The good judge. The good judge. This is the second uh, little section, and it might seem disjointed, but I'm going to do my best to demonstrate that it's all one story here. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was being done for the people... He said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So in other words, here Moses is pulling a lot of weight. He's trying to help the people deal with their conflicts. He's trying to, to be a good judge. Moses' father-in-law says to him, What you're doing is not good. Interesting. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So he's, he's not saying you need to stop being a, a, a judge to help the people, to serve the people in this way. He's saying you're going about it the wrong way. You're going to wear yourself out, and it's actually not helpful to your people for you to take it all on yourself. Verse 19, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men. Here's the prescription. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and you will bear the burden with you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, which is some really good advice. And he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. When Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So, very, very interesting things happening here. Jethro tells his son-in-law, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. Friends, this is an example of God's, what we call God's common grace, okay, uh, that he gives to Moses through his wise father-in-law. Even if Jethro is, even if his spiritual condition is in question, let's say that even if he's really not a God-fearer at this time, and, and I think that he is, but let's say even if he's not, what we see here is that God can still use other people to give us what we need in a certain situation. God, I mean, there is, as, as um, I guess it was Abraham Kuyper who said, there is not a square inch over all of God's creation over which he does not shout mine. Everything in the world belongs to God. And if God can speak out of a donkey, he can speak. <laughs> he can speak out of a father-in-law. <laughs> as that was in my mind, as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought about how funny it was sounding. If God can speak through a donkey, He can use any, kinds of, any kind of means to, to, to give us what we need. So, I mean, you know, if, if Jethro is a, new, is a believer, he's a very new believer, right? He has not walked with God for years and years and years, but still, God is able to use him to help him teach Moses how he might be able to be a better judge. Um, Jethro's advice... Stop trying to do it all on your own. Why? Because it's actually a disservice to the very people that you think you're trying to serve. Friends, this is a unique challenge of leadership. I've got to say for myself, I feel like I'm always between these two ditches of wanting to work really hard, right? Work really hard. Don't be slack. As my dad would say, don't be derelict, you know, don't, don't slack. But on the other hand, it's actually not healthy for the church if I try to do everything, right? I mean, and that's not good in any kind of scenario. So I always kind of stay in between these two ditches um, of, of being diligent, but looking to the future and raising up the next generation, raising up new leaders, uh, delegating responsibility so that we as a church are all pulling in the same direction. This is what he, he, Jethro is telling Moses. He's like, you're going to wear yourself out. Uh, you're, you're actually not going to end up serving by, by thinking that, you know, by, by having the Savior complex, right? Get, up, get down off of the cross, Moses. Jesus needs the wood, you know, something like that. Oh, that's anachronistic because Jesus has not come yet. But anyway, you get the picture. He told him to find others who could help. He seemed to have a twofold requirement. Look what he says. When he says, look for people to come alongside you in ministry, he says two things. He says they need to be able. Able men. In other words, this is a word about competence. Can they do the job? Are they able to, to do it? Okay. But then he says this other thing. They must fear God. They must be trustworthy. Hate a bribe. Uh, this is a word about their spiritual condition. 
I'll say, friends, as we're seeking to raise up deacons, as we seek to raise up staff members here, as we seek to raise up you know, future pastors, this seems to be right in line with the requirements in the New Testament for leadership. Able, yeah, able, but also you can't just have, you, you can't just have somebody who is able. That's not enough, right? Somebody who just is well-respected in the community. You've got to have somebody who fears God as well. You can't only have somebody who fears God. You've got to have that, but you've got to have somebody who's able. You've got to have both of these things have to walk hand in hand. So this pattern seems to be mimicked in Acts chapter 7 and in 1 Timothy when they talk about the requirements for, for leadership in the church. Here's what we learn from Ephesians chapter 4 about God's gift to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? Not to do it all, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, there's a couple points here. God's gift is a gift from God. He gave to the church the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. So, leadership in the church is a gift to the church. But there's a purpose for equipping. There's, there's no such thing as a lone ranger ministry for equipping uh, the saints for the work of the ministry. What's the result? Well, hopefully edification, building up, right? Building up of the body to present the bride as pure, it says in Ephesians 5, 27. And then the goal, what's, what's the goal of all this? Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice this, unity is always had around truth and doctrine. There's no, unity is not just this loose, empty togetherness of everybody getting around the campfire and singing kumbaya. That's not unity. Unity is always found when everybody unifies and gathers around the Scriptures and around who God is, truth and doctrine. So, um, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's, that's in the text there. So, uh, Well, how do we see Christ? We're always looking in the Old Testament... The Old Testament is just a book of shadows, right? Old Testament is just a collection of shadows to help us look forward toward Jesus. So where do we see Jesus here? Well, if God is calling Moses to be a judge, who is the true and better judge? Christ, of course. In other words, now Moses... He's supposed to judge, but do you think Moses' judgments are always going to be 100% perfect? No. He's human. He's going to fail. It's the burden I feel like. I feel like I, you know, I need to, to, to do my best to make good decisions and to, and to lead well and to pastor well and to teach well. But, I mean, goodness, I've already found at least one typo on this thing already, and you've probably noticed it as well. There's, uh, there, there's, a, there's a fallibility uh, in, in human leadership, but this shadow sets us up to see Jesus, the true and better judge. Jesus doesn't need to delegate any authority. He doesn't need help. He's not in danger of being worn out. Jesus is not in danger of doing too much. And Jesus is not in danger of making any mistakes. Moses needs help. Moses could make mistakes. Moses has to judge the people. Jesus will never need help. Jesus will never make mistakes. Jesus will always judge in truth and righteousness. Look what it says in Matthew 25. 
When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In other words, He's judging between the peoples. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. And then in Acts chapter 10, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus is the true and better judge. Friends, today we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where people make mistakes. We live in a world where bad things happen and then people go to court and we hope that the court system will, so- will, 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 will fix it and will solve everything or whatever because we desire justice. And friends, the, the fact of the matter is, just like we said this morning, in a way, while we walk in this Genesis 3 world, the wicked will prosper Justice will come, but it will come in a broken way. It might, it might be 90%. It might be 99% at different times. It might be only 5% just. But the day is coming. Christ will return. And with Him, He will usher in a time of perfect peace and harmony where people will beat their swords back into plowshares. And there will be no more need for judges, for hard decisions, and for the court system. Why? Because the one true and better judge will be here and he will settle all the accounts. So, what do we do? We worship Christ as the true and better judge and we yearn for his coming. We yearn for his return. We say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly to make it right again. Yes, we desire and we fight for justice today, but we know that our imperfect justice is only a shadow. It's only a picture. It's only whetting our appetite for the true and better justice that will be here one day. The church is to function as a body. 1 Corinthians 12, remember, this is a whole other sermon, but it's a picture. The body of Christ, every part has its own job. The body has various parts which work toward a common goal. But the church will function best when the 80-20 principle of teamwork is not in play. This is just a way to apply this. Moses has to delegate authority. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 principle? I know it means a lot of different things. There have been books written. I haven't read all the books, but I have heard this. The 80-20 principle is kind of this frustrating reality that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. You ever heard that? Right? Well, the church is the one place where everybody should be pulling together in the same direction so that the 80-20 principle has no business here, right? We're all grabbing, grabbing a rope and pulling in the same direction so that we uh, can, can do what we see modeled here in this, this wise advice from Jethro to his son-in-law Moses to find people who can join and can pull the wagon together uh, so that the purposes of God advance. Friends, let's pray for that. Let's pray for that to happen here at our church. Uh, We have a lot of things to be thankful for. I will just go ahead and tell you some good news that 
amongst all of my scatterbrainedness this morning that we all uh, witnessed, um, I was not able to remember, and that is that in, a, in just a couple of weeks when we have our business meeting coming up, we're going to be asking you uh, to approve a recommendation from our youth pastor search committee for a, a summer youth pastor. And so would you just be praying for this situation? Would you be praying for this young man who, who is going to be put before you to, um, to shepherd our students this summer? And we're, we're hoping... And y'all, some of y'all ladies need to get your kitchens fired up. We're hoping to entice him with everything that we've got to stay past the summer. Uh, but he's a seminary student. He's from Christian County. He'll be home for the summer. Uh, and, um, and this, I believe, will just be a great opportunity uh, for our student ministry to be taken care of for this important season in the summer. And so I would ask you to pray for all these things. Would you pray with me now? We're going to have a time of reflection and response. We're going to play a song after I pray. And uh, I would ask you to respond, to pray about these things that we've mentioned, and, uh, and to respond however the Lord might lead you. Pray with me now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it just gives us practical advice uh, many times. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, many times we, w- we would prefer for the scriptures to answer a lot of things that we don't feel it answers, but your scriptures speak to a lot more than than we're than we're uh, um, than we're tempted to think. Uh, tonight we we read about uh, about how it's important uh, for the people of God to be pulling in the same direction. We also read about what it's like to see a man. It seems go from worshiping false gods to worshiping the one true God because he, he heard the message. And so, Lord, we're encouraged to tell others the message so that they might have the same kind of encounter with God. And so, God, would you do that among us? Would you help us to learn these lessons? Not only that, would you help us to apply them so that our community, our neighborhood, and the nations may come to fear God? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.